is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. So if you were here last week, you will have heard me talk about the, uh, the importance of preparation and training. And uh, we uh, looked at the theme of running a race, and we're going to be working our way through this theme for the month of October. Generally speaking, my preferred way of preaching is to go through a, uh, a passage of Scripture, or a book of the Bible most typically, and to work our way through that. And we are in fact doing that at the moment, we're working our way through the Gospel of Luke. However, we're taking a short break from Luke for the month of October, and we're going to be preaching through this series called Running the Race. And if you missed last week's, if you'd like to listen to it, you can uh, download it from the website and, uh, and you can hear it uh, online there if you'd like to. So last week we talked about the importance of preparation and training. And if you're an athlete, preparation and training is really important. It's vital to your whole regime. And it's crucial to you doing well uh, as an athlete. Joel sent me a great quote this week, and uh, I wish I'd had it last week, but seeing as I didn't, you can get it this week and just apply it to last week's preach. Okay? And if I ever get to preach this again, then um, I'll put it in week one. But she sent me a quote from, um, from Chris Hoy. So he's the six times Olympic champion, 11 times world cycling champion, and uh, in an interview with The Telegraph in July 2011, so this is a year prior to the Olympic Games in London, he said this. He said, I believe the medals are won in training as much as they are on the day. People talk about pulling it out on the day, but that's nonsense. It's physically impossible to perform above what you can do. So here is a world-class athlete saying very clearly, preparation is key. And if that's true for the sportsman or sportswoman, how much more is that true for us as Christians? It's essential. It's vital. In the Christian life, preparation and training are really important. So last week we talked about things like prayer, reading God's Word, Worship, fasting, community, discipleship, service, all these sort of things are preparation things. They're getting ourselves in a good place with God. They're Him feeding us. They're getting ourselves spiritually fit. So before we get into this week, I wonder, how's your training going? How's your training going? Even from last week, I wonder, how's your training doing? The other thing that we alluded to last week, though I didn't get to talk about it in detail, and I'm not even sure we'll get to time to do it in detail this morning, but to allude to it a little bit more this morning, is the whole issue of what you wear. For athletes, what they wear, again, is important to performing well. Now, having embarrassed my wife last week using her in an illustration, I feel that in week two I should probably do the same again. So, here we go. Get in trouble again. But Sarah has recently taken up running. 
and uh, she's getting quite into this. I know some of you guys run and uh, are equally uh, committed uh, to the sports. But she's taken up running, so for her birthday this year, she had a new running outfit and some new running shoes. It's good, isn't it? See? From her loving, devoted, very caring, and uh, on the ball thinking, ah, oh, this might be good for her. You might like this, that will replace the old stuff. Husband. So, although I know what shoe size she is, I thought running shoes, it's not going to work, me just buying them. I went to look and there was just like a whole wall of running shoes. And even though I'm an athletic expert, as you can tell, running shoes aren't my speciality. So we went shopping and I said, look, your birthday present can be some running shoes. And uh, her comments when she picked them up to try them on was, wow, they're so light. For those of you who are are runners, you'll know that your running shoes are are so light. She was just running in an old pair of trainers previously, but she couldn't believe how light these running shoes were. And the reason was they were designed for for the sports. Similarly, her whole running outfit is far more comfortable and suitable to to running because it's been designed for that very purpose. Actually, it's a whole science that's developed over the recent years, isn't it? You know, what athletes wear, what they run in in a race is is a whole new science, it seems. Clothing is specifically designed for the purpose. But what about for the Christian? Well, friends, for us, what we wear is important as well. Now, I'm not talking about your, you know, a new shirt or what physical clothes you may have on this morning, but what we wear spiritually is really important. And Paul actually talks about what we wear as Christians in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, it changes the, uh, the imagery slightly because uh, he talks about armour and he talks about putting on the full armour of God so that we can stand against the devil's schemes. And uh, he's got this imagery of of a Roman soldier with the armour that he would wear. And uh, so Paul talks about uh, putting on the full armour of God, things like the the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. So for Paul there, what the Christian wears is really important. We don't have time this morning, unfortunately, to get into that whole passage. It's another preach, if not a whole series. But for Paul, what the Christian wore spiritually was really important. For us in the Christian life, what we wear is really important. In the same way, the right clothes for a runner a key. But actually, you know what? It's not just about what you wear. It's what you don't wear that's important as well. So clothes that will slow you down are things like disappointments. Or if you're wearing anger or unforgiveness, resentments, bitterness, things like this will slow you down and cause you problems in the race that is the Christian life. If they're wearing them, they'll, they'll, they'll drag you down. It's like, it's like wearing a heavy coat that gets wet in a rainstorm. 
And if it's not designed to be a raincoat, and it's just a sort of thick, it's going to get wet, and it's going to be heavy, and it will drag, and it weighs you down. Do you know the sort of thing I mean? If you're wearing the wrong things as a Christian, they will drag you down, and you'll need to change. A friend of mine was organising a clothes swap recently, and she announced it on Facebook, and inviting her friends to go to this clothes swap. I figured out very quickly it probably wasn't meant for me, so I didn't go. But um, whether it went well or not, I don't know. I didn't follow the post after that. Um, But it made me think, you know what, I think God wants to do some clothes swapping through this series. Now, I don't mean physically, okay? Do not swap jumpers with the person next to you, okay? That's not what I mean, But, you know, I do think that God wants to deal with some of the things that hold us down, drag us down, like wearing the wrong clothes over this series. Maybe some of the things that I mentioned. And we'll talk about this some more over the next couple of weeks. I think think next Sunday particularly, we'll, we'll talk about some of the things that can weigh us down if we're not wearing the right clothes. Okay, so if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn to the book of Hebrews, please. But if you'd like to scroll, click, or turn to Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to read a couple of verses together. And we'll use this passage for the rest of our time together this morning. So Hebrews chapter 12, the first few verses, 1 to 3, I think we'll read. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning we say we don't want to grow weary and lose heart. And so we pray that in these moments this morning you might speak to us by your Spirit. Please come and be our teacher, Holy Spirit. Help us to understand what we've read and would you apply it now to our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's a great passage, this one in Hebrews. Maybe you're familiar to it. Maybe it's a new passage to you. You haven't spent much time in before. But either way, I want to suggest to you this morning, this is a great passage for us to get hold of when we're talking about running the race as a Christian. It encourages us to endure. It encourages us not to get weary. It encourages us to keep going. So if you're feeling weary this morning, I do believe that God wants to give you encouragement and strength this morning. I really do. And that doesn't only happen, and don't fall into the trap of thinking, that will happen if we pray for people at the end. Now actually, God's word is living and active. That's what the Bible tells us. And so actually, even as we talk about it this morning, even as I preach from this word, I believe God wants to do something and the Holy Spirit will be at work in your hearts and will bring to you strength and encouragement. I feel that's what God wants to do this morning if you're feeling weary. 
Now, if you've got, just keep your pass, the passage open. We'll refer to it as we go. So the writer to the Hebrews starts off this chapter by saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And the writer here talks about these witnesses. Now, these witnesses themselves can't strengthen you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But they can inspire you and encourage you. Now, who likes to be encouraged? Some of you are either very strange or just tired and couldn't raise your arm. Because I suspect that all of us like to be encouraged. We like to say, we like someone to come along and say, hey, that was a good job, well done, keep going. Or if we do a particular project at uni or at work, um, or we do something in our house, then we like people to appreciate it and to encourage us that we've done a good job. Encouragement is a good thing. And the writer of the Hebrews says here that it's these witnesses, you know what, if we understand this rightly, they can encourage you. They can spur you on. Their stories, their walk with God, can strengthen you and inspire you. In the previous chapter, if you just look back, we've got a whole list of people who kept going for God and were faithful. And the writer here is saying, it's it's these sort of people, you know what, they can encourage you. Their story can inspire you. So we've got a whole list of people here. We've got Enoch, we've got Noah, we've got Abraham and Sarah. And so the list goes on and goes on. And it just goes through there. There's lots of people that, and what more shall I say, the writer says, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth and David and Samuel and the prophets. And so the list goes on. There are so many that could inspire you and encourage you to keep going. That's what he's saying here. You know what? There are others as well in more recent times. Men and women like Hudson Taylor or Brother Andrew, Keith Green, Corrie Ten Boom, Catherine Coleman, C.T. Studd, Mother Teresa, John Wimber, Arnold Bell. And so the list goes on. Many women that have gone before us who remained faithful, whose stories can encourage us. Do you like reading stories of Christians who have been faithful and kept going? I love it. I'd encourage you to, to get into it. If you're not sure where to start, some of the list of those people will be a good one. Their stories will encourage you and inspire you because they held on. Even through difficult times, they, they kept going in God. Now remember, it's Jesus that brings strength to us. But these people, their stories can encourage us. To keep going, not to give up. The picture is of a great heavenly crowd, like you'd have at a race, like you might have at Olympic Games, encouraging the runners and cheering them on. That's what the picture here is. Donald Guthrie, in his commentary on Hebrews, says this. He says, the word used here for witness doesn't usually denote spectator. And yet the use of the imagery here presupposes such a meaning. Nevertheless, the word the writer has chosen tells us something about the character of the spectator. 
They are to be distinguished from the fickle approach of those whose only desire is to be entertained. These witnesses who watch from the stands are those well qualified to inspire. They bear witness to the faithfulness of God in sustaining them. They are there as encouragers to the present contestants. Friends, they're there to encourage us. See, in a race, you get that crowd cheering on, don't you? Come on, keep going at the end. And as they sort of stand to their feet as somebody's about to, to make, make a new world or Olympic record. There's great cheering and encouragement. Maybe you've seen it if you've ever watched a marathon race. And you'll, you'll see spectators there looking out for people they know in the race. Cheering them on, calling out their name, encouraging them to keep going. Even though it might be tough and hard. Keep going, hang on in there, they're saying. If you were at North this year, you uh, may have heard Adrian Holloway tell the story of a friend of his called Neil. And Neil and, and Neil's mate are on a walking holiday in the Lake District. And suddenly a man pulls up in his car and stops and talks to them. He says that his 13-year-old son, Tom, is on a sponsored charity bike ride from John O'Groats to Land's End. And in a few minutes, Tom will be coming over the hill in the distance there, and he would like to cheer them on. And he wonders if Neil and his friend would join him in cheering on Tom in the race that he's committed to being part of, the sponsored bike ride. And they agree, and over the next few minutes, this man assembles a small crowd of seven or so Lake District walkers, ready to cheer on his son, Tom. Soon, Tom appears on the brow of the hill just before them. He's not pedalling very fast. Tom looks like he really wants to give up now, and any thought of a charity bike ride seemed like a really bad idea right now. And then he hears a sound. His dad and these seven Lake District walkers Shouting at the top of their voice, Come on, Tom! You can do it, Tom! Not far to land's end now, Tom! And Tom hears this encouragement, and Neil says, Well, he just started pedalling faster, and his little legs were going, and he soon passed them over the next hill and off into the distance, having been encouraged by this crowd. Tom's father turns to this assembled group and says, Hey, thank you so much. Do you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to drive a few more miles uh, down the road and uh, I'm going to assemble another group of people and we're going to cheer on Tom again. His dad says, as long as Tom wants to carry on cycling, I'm going to keep on cheering him on. Adrian finished his story by saying, that is the sound of of heaven cheering you on. Saying, come on Tom! Keep going! Hang in there! You're doing well! Whatever your name is, if it's Tom, you're thinking, this is a good illustration. Put your name in that sentence. Come on! Keep going! Hang in there! You're doing well! That's the sound of heaven cheering you on. It's this great cloud of witnesses 
who are for you and encouraging you. Their story is there to inspire you. And if you keep going, if you hang in there, if you do well, your name gets added to that list as well. I'm not talking about adding to Scripture. Don't misunderstand what I'm not saying. I'm saying it gets added to the list of men and women of God who have proven faithful and hung in there, even through difficult times, even through testing times, even through times when they were tempted to give up. But they persevered and hung on and were faithful to the end. So the writer of the Hebrews there is encouraging us, saying, come on, this story can inspire you. They're like our support party, cheering us on, saying, come on, you can do it. But the writer of the Hebrews doesn't stop there. We don't know who it is. There's plenty of speculation as to who it might be. We don't really know, so we won't dwell on that one. But the writer says this, talking about the great cloud of witnesses, it goes on. And then we're told this, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's not just about having a crowd that cheers us on. The writer says, no, something else is important as well. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. In a race, you want to get rid of everything that gets in the way, don't you? Everything that hinders you, everything that might weigh you down, everything that might slow you down, even by a few seconds, you want to get rid of it. You want to be shot of it, because it hinders you. Now, it seems here that things that hinder are different to sin. They're separated here, aren't they? They they may be the same. But actually, the writer here addresses them separately. So we'll address them separately as well. A hindrance might be sin, but it may not be. A hindrance, actually, in another context, might be a good thing. It might not be a bad thing in and of itself. But in the race you're in, it might be a hindrance. For the runner, to use the illustration again, it might be a coat. So coats are not evil. They're not bad. They're not sinful. Most of us have probably got one or more. But if you're in a race, you wouldn't be wearing your long winter coat because it would drag you down, it would weigh you down, it would slow you down. It would be a hindrance to you. You'd get rid of it. So what is it that hinders you? What is it that hinders you in your Christian life? This may not be sinful. We'll get to sin in a minute but it may be a hindrance to you. Is there anything that slows you down, that gets in the way of your relationship with God, that is a hindrance to you? Let's think of a few examples. Maybe it's a desire to make money. That might hinder you in your Christian life. Now, money isn't bad, and it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's a problem. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I wonder, could that be a hindrance to you? 
Maybe it's your lack of discipline. Maybe you're just so disorganized you never quite get round to opening up God's word or spending time with him. It never seems to fit in for you. Maybe your lack of discipline or organization there is a hindrance to you. Perhaps your desire to succeed at work is a hindrance too. You're so focused on the next promotion, going for the next thing, that that's become a hindrance to you. Now, it's not that work or promotions are bad, they're good things. But remember, a hindrance is anything that gets in the way of you and God. So if it takes the place that really God should have in your life, then it's a hindrance. Now, the writer goes on. It's not only hindrances that are a problem here. It's sin. And sin, we're told, easily entangles. And it does. Sin is a bit like, I guess, a, a box of cables. Now, if you've ever looked in a, uh, in a box of cables, even if they have been put away tidily, even if they have been carefully wrapped with insulating tape separating them, even if they have been organised, you can guarantee that by the next time you come to the box... All you sort of get is a rather sort of entangled mess. And you're not quite sure where the mains cable is and where the guitar cable is and really quite where anything else is. We're looking for people to join our tech team, by the way. But sin can be like that. It just entangles you. It just tangles you up in a mess. And maybe this morning, sin has got a grip on you even. I once heard this said in a meeting I was at years ago. But it's such a good quote. I remember writing it down at the time. I can't can't remember who said it, but maybe you've heard it said too. Sin takes you further than you wanted to go, keeps you longer than you wanted to stay, and costs you more than you wanted to pay. Sin takes you further than you wanted to go, keeps you longer than you wanted to stay, and costs you more than you wanted to pay. It's true. It's true. Sin is deceptive. It easily entangles. And to get out, you need help. You need to call on Jesus. And so this morning is a reminder to us and a call to turn to him. The one who can help you. The one who can take the mess of our lives, make sense of it and untangle it. The writer of the Hebrews encourages us to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one that can untangle the mess that you're in. He is the one that can forgive you and give you a fresh start. So this morning is a call to living for him. And the course of putting aside things that hinder, that entangle, that sin. And focus on him. And look to him to run the race. I guess we don't often talk about holiness very much, do we? We talk lots about grace. And that's good. We should talk lots about grace. That's not a bad thing. But actually the Bible calls us to live lives that are holy and honouring to God. And actually, it's a right understanding of grace that leads us towards holiness. 
So does grace mean that we can sin as much as we like and not care about it because God will forgive us anyway? No, not at all. Paul says this in Romans chapter 6, verse 15. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means, he exclaims. Then Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, we're told this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. So this morning, friends, is a call to holy living and living in a way that honours God in order that we might run the race that God has for us. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, referring back to the Old Testament. He says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. So, you might say, well, that that sounds fine, Graham, but how do I do that? How how do I do that? How can I live like that? Well, it's getting back to training, getting closer to God. It's back to receiving his grace. It's getting back to living in such a way that we're filled and led by the Holy Spirit. So you don't become free by becoming more determined to conquer your sin, whatever it might be. You actually get free by following verse 2 of Hebrews 12, which is about fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's as you look to him, it's as you spend time with him, it's as he becomes the most important thing in your life that priorities begin to change. That you find sin doesn't have the same draw as it used to have. Now, the reality is you may need some help. Just as these cables aren't going to get untangled by themselves, they need some help, they need somebody else to do some untangling. Maybe you need some help. Maybe you need somebody to do some untangling for you. Maybe you need someone to pray with you. And particularly if it's something that's got a spiritual hold over you, then actually it's important to bring release to that. And having somebody pray with you is helpful there. Maybe an accountability partner would help you. Someone that you can be honest with and you can pray together. Now maybe you need to take some sensible steps. That's important too. So if you're tempted to spend money you don't have, maybe cutting up your credit card will be a good idea. That's a sensible step. If you're tempted to look at uh, websites that are unhelpful, pornographic or other things, then if, if that's the thing for you, then maybe getting them blocked would be a sensible step. So taking sensible steps are important. But it all starts with looking to Jesus. It all starts with putting him first. See, in a race, you're looking at the finish line, aren't you? You're thinking, I want to get to the finish line. I want to to get that prize, get that medal, get that award or whatever it might be. 
That's what your focus is on. Now, you may not physically be able to see it. If you're in a marathon, it's going to be a while until you can see the finish line. But boy, is it in your head. Boy, can you imagine crossing that line, finishing the race. In the Christian life, it's about looking to Jesus. Now, there is some good news here. There really is. And it's this, that sin has lost its power. Sin has lost its grip. And if you give your life and all of you to him, then the Bible tells us we become dead to sin and alive to Christ. And it's the same power, you know, that raised Christ from the dead that is available to work in you and help you become more like Jesus. I guess most of us would agree that the amount and type of power that raised Jesus from the dead, if you could measure it on some sort of scale, would be quite large. If you had some powerometer, if there is such a thing, and you were to measure the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, it would be off the scale, wouldn't it? It would sort of start and then go all the way around and just probably keep going. It's the same power that is available to you to live in a way that honours Jesus and to be faithful to him that you might have your name added to that list of men and women who have lived for God and been faithful to him. Think about it. The same power at work in your life. You can be free. You can get rid of those hindrances and sin. You don't have to let sin win the battle anymore. Sin does entangle. And no matter who you are, you're not exempt from it. I heard a tragic story this week of a, of a church leader I know who'd fallen into just awful sin. And people around would have thought, oh, not him, surely, and, and not that. And it's just awful and painful and terrible. Friends, no one's exempt. Sin entangles. And none of us are above temptation. And sin. Never, never say it can't happen to you. Never think, oh no, I'm above it. Never think that somehow you're different or exempt. But rather we should all live in a way that is humble before God. And being aware of needing his grace in our lives. Now to go back to our sporting picture. In a race, sometimes runners get injured. It's true in football matches, in other sports, isn't it? Sometimes the athletes or sports people will get injured. Sometimes it's their own fault in a football match. They might go in for a bad tackle and slip and break their leg. Sometimes it may not be their fault at all. But they come out of the game injured. And when that does happen, the athlete has someone to help them to give them medical advice, to get them fit in order that they can go again and keep going. So the injured runner is not just left there languishing on the side. The injured football star is not just left there on the pitch and they sort of play around him. But things happen to help them get fit again, to get them back in the race or back in the game. Maybe you can see where I'm going with this. The same is true, friends, in the Christian life. 
The Christian life is a battle. That's why Paul talks about wearing armour for it. The armour that God provides. The reality is that there are injuries sometimes. The reality is that at any point in time, there will be some struggling with some hindrances, others struggling with some sin, others who have been injured along the way, there will be a whole mix. And there will be others of us that at that particular time are doing well in a strong place. And that's just how it is. It's like, that's just a typical mix. And it's in those times that we need each other. It's where the strong can help the weak and encourage. It's where we can love one another and come alongside one another and encourage and build up and help. You know, a sports physio or a sports doctor is not there just to say, oh, they're there. It'll be all right. It'll get better. Don't worry about your ankle. It really is meant to be at that angle, honestly. It'll be okay. They're not just there to offer kind words. No, no, they're there to do something in order that the athlete might get back in a race. It's with a purpose there. It's not just to say they're there. It's in order to get them fit again. And the same is true in the church. We should be like a mission field hospital, like a sort of a battlefield hospital, not a rest home. It's not as where we go and think, oh, we made it. No, actually, we're, we're called to care for one another and love one another on the journey, in the game still, with the aim of getting back in the game, back in the race, back out there and serving Jesus. Sometimes you'll need rest time. You will. Sometimes you'll need to recover. Sometimes you'll be an intense time of untangling a mess. That's okay. That's okay. But it's always with the aim of getting back in the race and getting back in the game. And the great cloud of witnesses is going to cheer you on. Come on, Tom. Come on, whoever. You can do it. Keep going. Keep hanging in there. As we finish, the the Christian life is not always an easy race, not always an easy path. There are trials, there are difficulties, there are challenges, there is hardship. More so in some countries than others, there is persecution. But you know what? God gives us the power and the strength to run his race. The race that he has called us to, the race that he has marked out for us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. God doesn't want you to run somebody else's race. He wants you to run the race that he's got for you and to run it with perseverance. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so maybe this morning, you need to receive fresh power. This is, we talked about a little earlier in the worship. Maybe it's a time for a fresh connection with a power source. Maybe for the first time you want to get into the race, you're thinking, you know what, I want to, I want to run this race for Jesus. I want to run it and honour God. 
Well, this morning you can make that decision to do that. Maybe this morning you need to throw off what's entangled you or repent of some sin that you got caught up in. If that's you, then God wants you to know there's grace available. There really is. And just as you can't measure the amount of power that raised Jesus from the dead, neither can you measure the amount of grace that is available for you as you turn to the Lord and say, God, would you help me? He loves to answer prayers like that. I love the song we sang earlier, Draw Me Close to You. It's as we draw close to God that he comes to us, he gives us fresh grace and he helps us in the race that he's set out for us. So I wonder as we finish, friends, what's your response this morning? What's your response to him? Let's pray together. Let's just be quiet before the Lord. I just feel that as, as we finish, I just want to give some time to being quiet before the Lord and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Uh, I'm aware I'm not often a quiet person. <laughs> but actually, the Holy Spirit often whispers to us in moments of quiet. So I just want to shut up <laughs> and allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak just now. Lord, I want to pray that in these moments that you would speak, please. You would challenge, you would encourage. Lord Jesus, do what you want to do now in these moments, please. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you don't call us to run the race and then just let us get on with it. Thank you, you provide the power that we need to do it. Thank you that you encourage us along the way. Thank you that your grace is sufficient. It really is. And so, Father, this morning I I pray for any untangling that needs to be done. Lord Jesus, I pray, would you bring grace for that? Lord, for any sensible actions that need to be undertaken, bring grace for that. Lord, for any repentance that needs to be made, bring grace for that. And Lord, help us to live in ways that honour you, that show our love for you, And Lord, help us, please, to love and encourage one another, whatever circumstances we might be in. Lord, I pray that we would be a community, a family that loves each other, helps to untangle and encourages as we go. And Lord, not that we might become just like a rest home, but Lord, we might be that battlefield hospital 
uh, gets one another back in the race and serving you, loving you and living for you. Please help us with that, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.